0: All right, on to bigger and better things. As we have gone through Exodus, we have done a consistent job, I think, of pointing out the faults and failures of Israel because they have been, to use a biblical term, legion. They have been so numerous that every time we turn around, it feels like Israel can't get a single thing right. At some point, we need a day where things go well, the people figure it out, Good advice is given, and people actually take it. Wouldn't that be lovely? Exodus 18 is here to save us. (laughs) Now, to connect us to a little bit of what's come before in the last couple of weeks, made mention of Martin Luther last week. If you don't have any idea who that is, um, go read the Wikipedia page. It's actually helpful. It's one of the few times I'll recommend that. But we, uh, we are one week removed from Martin Luther's speech at the Diet of Worms, the Here I Stand, I Can Do No Other. If you want to be inspired, go read that. It will encourage you and uplift you. Why could Martin Luther stand on Scripture? Why do I encourage you, week in and week out, to build your worldview, your thought processes, and your life on Scripture? And the answer is, because it actually makes sense and it works. How do I know that? I know that because of chapters like Exodus 18. Now, we're going to do things a little differently from how we would normally do it. Normally, we would read the whole thing and then go back through it. But because there's so many little details in this, I figured that you didn't want to hear me talk that long. So anytime I could spare you a couple of minutes, it would be a good idea. So we will read all of it, but we will read it as we go through it. Does that make sense? We've done this once or twice before, but that saves us from just having to to repeat all 27 verses and go through it again and again and again. So, we will just dive right in with verse 1. Now, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. All right, who remembers this guy? Anybody? Hey, we have some people who remember what's going on. Exodus chapter 2. The priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs, to, the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them water the flock. Those seven daughters in chapter 2 are the seven daughters of Ruel, the priest of Midian. If you, um, if you engage in the annual tradition of the Ten Commandments, this is the part where they all go to the well and somebody goes, A oh, man! Which... They do. If you've never watched the Ten Commandments, one of Zipporah's sisters actually does that. She turns into Jessica Rabbit and goes, oh, <sighs> It's. I, I'm telling you. Exactly. You continue on. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and the man gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now, if you will remember, all the way back in Exodus 2, because I'm sure you all remember that, right? Right? Exactly. You're lucky I remember what I said about Exodus 2, so go back for homework this week and read Exodus 2. It will do you good. We made mention that the Exodus was about multiple things. It was about getting Israel out of Egypt, yes, but it was also about what? Getting Egypt out of Israel. That process begins with Moses. Moses, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, is a stranger in a land that he is part of the royal family of. I think that made sense. That's not supposed to end a sentence with a preposition, but we're going to go with it anyway. So even though he is part of the royal family, living a life that is well beyond what anyone around him would have, he is still a stranger in that land. He is still someone who does not belong. When he leaves that, he leaves that place as a criminal. With a sense of death upon him, he's out in the wilderness. He's going to spend forty years with Ruel and his family, learning that there is a God and a people of God. That forty years is the removal of Egypt from Moses. We made mention of this when the when the seven daughters came and saw Moses and he rescues them. They go back and tell their father what? What kind of man rescued them? An Egyptian man rescued us. Is Moses an Egyptian man? He's not supposed to be, but at that time, he was. Ruel or Jethro, don't freak out. It's the Bible. Everybody's got 75 names. It's okay. Same guy. Same thing. Is part of that process for getting Egypt out of Moses, the redemptive work of Moses, beginning with a godly family, leading in discipleship, and training so that Moses will be able to recognize who God is and understand how to follow him rightly. That was part of who Moses is. The way, I, the way I wrote it down in my notes, the depaganizing of Moses, which is always a good process to undergo. So that guy has shown up, verses 2 through 4. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife, Zipporah, after he had sent her away. We don't know when that was, somewhere between chapter 4 and now. And her two sons, of, one, of whom one was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. The other was named Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now some of that we remember. You remember that's the, the Gershom story. That's where that name is because he's now found a home after being a sojourner, a stranger in a strange land. But this name... Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Now this is again part of the connections and what what we talk about when we talk about Christian community. Who is Moses' father that this God would rescue? It's the God of his father in Egypt, right? The one who protected him, tried to hide him for months before he was put into the Nile, but it's also the God of who else? It's the God of rule. The God of Zipporah, the God of that family, the one that's training him, teaching him, instructing him. This is also a connection to the past. Genesis 49. From the God of your father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. The promise of God to his people is a promise of blessing. Now would you call Moses's life up until now a blessed life? (laughs) It's been a rough go in some instances. I mean, how many kids would sign up for, hey, start me off by putting me in a basket and floating me down the crocodile infested river? Sound like fun? I want to do that when I'm three months old, don't you? No, no. I want to have to kill somebody and make a run for it and live out in the middle of nowhere, don't you? No, nobody signs up for this. I want to go to war with the greatest military power the world has ever known up until this time, don't you? This has been Moses' life. It has not been easy, but it has been what? It has been blessed. He has been protected. He has been grounded. He has been guarded, and he has been guided. See all those Gs? I'm being a good Baptist today. All of these by God. This is why you can see the praise of Moses. Fast forward to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 90. If you want some fun, read the, the title of that psalm. Guess who wrote Psalm 90? Come on, think about it. Think about it. Why would I make a big deal about it? No, Moses. It's a Psalm of Moses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Go to the end. Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? Be sorry for your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad in all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants, your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. What's the hope of Moses in that psalm? He wants what? Sum that up in one word. He wants redemption. Rescue your people. Satisfy them. Confirm the work of their hands. What's the great longing of humanity in scripture? Redemption. The recovery of what was lost in the garden. What was the longing of all those generations in Genesis 5 going down to Noah? Maybe this one will give us rest from the work of our hands because because God has cursed the ground. What is the curse of the ground reminders of? Sin. It's a reminder of sin. In order for the ground to not be cursed anymore, what has to not be cursed anymore? Everything. Everything. The sin has to be removed. If sin has been removed, then the serpent has been crushed, his offspring have been destroyed, the seed of the woman has been born. That's what they're longing for. That's the hope of humanity. That's what Exodus is meant to point to. That's what Moses is realizing and seeing in his life. He can celebrate the son that God has given him in Gershom because I was a stranger in a strange land, but what am I now? I'm no longer in a strange land. He's in the middle of the desert, living a nomadic lifestyle with some herds and flocks and a small family, and he is at what? He's at peace. Where does that peace come from? comes from God. He can celebrate the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. If he can deliver me from that sword, what else can he deliver me from? Delivering from any sword. He can deliver me from the Red Sea. He can deliver deliver me. I can't speak English. You say deliver me 3 times fast. Go ahead, I'll wait. <laughs> If he can deliver me from Pharaoh, he can deliver me from the Red Sea, he can deliver me from thirst, he can deliver me from hunger, he can deliver me from the sword of Amalek, he can deliver me from all of these things. This is the hope of humanity, that Lord, please, you need to deliver us. Because what can we not do? We cannot deliver us. I can't deliver you, you can't deliver me. We're done for because in our own power we are broken and, un- and uncapable. But God is gracious And merciful and powerful and able able to overcome all of the brokenness of humanity. So with all of that said, you get a good little reminder to start with. Let's keep moving. Then Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. So they show up, they look for Moses. What might you then say? He sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and he bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other of the welfare and went into the tent. That's a happy reunion, isn't it? That's a happy greeting. Why that greeting, though? Exodus 20 gives you an answer. I know we're not there yet, but we we can skip around a little. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. But is rule Jethro, is he Moses' father? No, he's Zipporah's father. Matthew chapter 12. Whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. Is Jethro Moses' father? Yeah. He taught him. He discipled him. He explained. He trained him. That's family. That's what it's supposed to look like. We have an old phrase. My wife is from the South. I lived there for many, many years. Blood is thicker than water because you never turn your back on. See? <laughs> there you go, yeah. See, I always brought a weird perspective because I'm from New England and we don't like anybody. It, 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 it's true. It's true. New Englanders don't like anybody. Go back for fun, read books on the Revolutionary War, and other colonies, when they had to deal with New Englanders, were like, who are these dudes? Like, they're weird, and they don't like us, and we don't like them, and they don't hang out. I mean, New Englanders are just odd. I, I grew up on Long Island Sound in Connecticut, and we're a weird lot, and it, it's okay. I've come to grips with it, and it's you know, it's part of my brokenness. It's just how it works. But I would, I would Cameron would always laugh about my family because she's like, your family's so messed up. Like, you don't even like each other. And I'm like, have you met them? There's a reason we don't like them. They're not likable. And I get that. And she's like, my family's not like that. Oh, I laughed. Because Southern society is really good at one thing. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, but you're really good at lying to yourselves. Because the, com- the complaint was, well, it's family. We can't speak bad about family. And my attitude was, I can speak bad about anybody. Because <laughs> if you're bad, you know what you need to be told? And if you're doing good, you know what you need to be told? Whether you're family, whether you're friends, whether you're neighbors, we just need to call a spade, a spade, and move along. See, Christianity encourages that. It's made me worse in that regard, not better, much to Cameron's chagrin. Because when I see craziness, you know what I say? That's crazy, whether it's in my family, your family, her family, I don't care. The reason being is because at the end of the day, who are my people? Everybody who names the name of Christ. Doesn't matter where they're from. Remember, we need good Backstreet Boys theology. Don't make me break out bad 90s music again. I don't care. You got to do the dance move. Who you are, don't care where you're from, don't care what you did. I you got the earpiece going. See, there you go. <laughs> oh, no, come on. I was in high school then. It was terrible times. Fun was not had by all. But that's true for Christian living. Look at the people you know in Christ. Do they all come from the same place? Did they all live the same lives? No, but what holds you together? Christ. That's how we're supposed to look. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you did before you got to this place. What do I care about now? Do you love God? Are you walking his ways? Are you seeking faithfully to honor him in all that you are and all that you will be? If that's the case, then you are my people and here we go. That's how this is supposed to work. You can see this in the life of Moses. Egyptian, not really. Raised an Egyptian in the palace, life of privilege. He's got access to money. He's got access to food. Take him out to the middle of the desert, drop him with people who have almost nothing. And what are they? Their family. Why? Because God is good. That's what connects them, that's what holds them together. That's why Moses looking out at the Israelites be like, You gave me these people? <laughs> that's Christian living. God bringing his people together, regardless of language, regardless of heritage, regardless of skin color, they are his people in Christ. We should have more in common with Christians in China than we do with pagans that live across the street. And if we don't, then that says there's a problem in our discipleship we are more comfortable being identified by the pagan world around us than we are by the holiness of God. We need to think in wisdom, how do we live for Christ in each and every avenue of life? If we do that, then it doesn't matter what language we speak. Discipleship is discipleship. It doesn't matter how old our children are. Discipleship is discipleship. It doesn't matter if we're rich. It doesn't matter if we're poor. It doesn't matter if we're in charge. It doesn't matter if we take orders. Discipleship and faithful living is discipleship and faithful living. So, verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had befallen them on the journey, and how the Lord had delivered them, as he should have. This is what you do. When God does awesome stuff, what do you do? You tell people about it. Deuteronomy 6, the words of Moses. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your sons. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, as frontals on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That way it doesn't matter where you go, what are you going to see? the reminders of who God is and what he has done. This is why every time you turn around in the Bible, somebody's building an altar or making a monument. Joshua tells the people this. When they make, the, um, they make the monument of stones after they cross the Jordan River. Why? When your sons one day, many years from now, ask you, hey, what are these rocks for? That's where God stopped the river. That's where he brought us through. When your kids ask you, why do we go down to Jerusalem every year to sacrifice this lamb? Because there was a time when we were enslaved. We were in bondage and God delivered us and he destroyed our enemies and he brought us out by his mighty hand. Why do we go to church every Sunday? Because there was a time when I lived in darkness and God destroyed my enemies and by his mighty hand, he brought me out and he, and he upholds me and he strengthens me and I celebrate and worship him day in and day out. There's a reason. There's a reason why we pray. There's a reason why we sing. There's a reason why I jump around here like an untrained monkey and try to get you to understand this stuff. Because the more you know, the more you will understand what God has done and what he has accomplished. The more you will love him, the more you will desire to serve him and walk in faithfulness. The more you know about him, the louder you will sing, the more you will praise, and the greater your joy in this dark world will be that's what we're trying to do here. That's what Moses is doing. He's praising, hey, let me tell you all of the stuff God has done. And see, this is where we get messed up. Because what we do is we tell ourselves, well, because this makes sense. Because what kind of stuff does Moses get to sit down and talk about? He gets to talk about the plagues, and and I poured out the water, and it turned to blood, and and there was hailstorms, and the cattle dropped dead, and and the Red Sea parted, and man, water was coming out of rocks, and there's this bread stuff. Wait till you see the bread stuff that literally just, it's just on the ground. I don't even know where, it's just there. See, and we're like, and, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I didn't get to see all that cool stuff. Dude, do you have any idea how evil you are? See, I know how evil I am. I live in my own brain. See, you guys only get a taste of it. I have to live here. But if you're honest with yourself, you know what you know about you? Yeah. He saved you? See, we're really good at saying that to somebody else, aren't we? We're not really good about saying that to a mirror. He saved you? He saved you? He saved me. <laughs> Let me tell you how big God is. Let me tell you how awesome his grace is. Let me tell you about the mercy. I was a nitwit. I was a rebel sinner, and he changed my heart and my mind. Dude, I think about things now that I wouldn't even contemplated 15 years ago. I avoid things now that 20 years ago I'd have been like, gimme, 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 gimme. And it's astounding to me each and every day. Why? Because I think about it. Christian, this is why you dwell on the things of the Lord. Dwell on the things that are good and holy and righteous and pure because it changes your heart and your mind. It strengthens you for the task ahead. Testify to the good things that God has done in your life to guess who first? To you! Because here's the thing. Your kids, your kids' friends, your neighbors. Why do you go to that church anyway? And you know what your first thought is? I'm going to sound really weird sound really weird if I start talking like this. They're going to think I'm crazy. First of all, I got news for you. They already think you're crazy. That just, that's the one advantage of being somebody like me is everybody already thinks I'm crazy. So everything I do just adds to it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful place to be. That's the first thing. But second, you're uncomfortable because you know what you're not thinking about? You're not telling you. It's really easy to talk about stuff that you're thinking about, isn't it? Get excited. Talk about it. We don't get excited about it because we don't think about it. We don't dwell on it. We don't encourage ourselves with it and then encourage our spouse with it and then encourage our children with it and encourage our family with it and encourage our neighbors with it and encourage our fellow Christians with it. We don't do that. So when somebody asks us, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Come to grips with who you are, how you got there, and what that means for your life going forward. You're seeing that here. Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel in delivering them from the hand of the Egyptians. That's the right response, isn't it? Moses did the right thing. Let me tell you about all the stuff that God has done. And all the people listening should have been doing what? (laughs) And rejoicing. Isaiah 63. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he granted them in accordance to his compassion, according to the abundance of his loving kindness. For he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. Therefore, he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. See, if that was all God had ever done, would that have been enough? Yeah. That's a lot. That's redemption. That's what the Exodus is, a picture of the story of redemption. Christian, you're a walking example of redemption. I was this. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but thanks be to God, I walk in a newness of life. I am changed, not because of me and my power, but because of him and his great power and grace. I walk this path of faith, not because I'm good, but because he is good. It starts there, and then it builds out, and then over time, you get to look back and have that whole conversation I just had. Look at all this stuff he's changed about me, not because I was so good in persevering, but because he was so good in persevering. All praise, glory, and honor to God who redeems. That leads to rejoicing here. Paul put it this way. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, how do you make sense of this world? It makes sense of this world by being grounded in God. Does Moses' world make sense? I mean, let's think about this for a second. Put in the basket, floated down the river, adopted by the daughter of the king, raised in the palace, rejecting that lifestyle, killing a dude, running off into hiding, marrying some chick who found you in the desert. I mean, this sounds like a bad romance novel, doesn't it? I mean, then, by the way, a burning bush, God sends you back to the people that want to kill you, but they forgot about that part. And so now you're going to deliver your people and God does all these signs. What part of the story makes sense if you're Moses? I mean, at what point don't you just wake up and you're like, dude, What's a normal day again? I mean, what's a, what's a normal day look like? I don't know. I don't care. I'm just going to keep going. It doesn't make sense. Why does this make sense? Why can Moses tell the story and Jethro rejoice? Because they have peace. Why do they have peace? Because they have God. And the world doesn't have to make sense when you have God. Christian, understand that. Does your world make sense? How many times do you watch the news and go, I, I got nothing. I don't even know. Like you turn on cable news and there's two people yelling at each other and you're like, I don't even know why we're yelling. Why, why do I have high blood pressure all of a sudden? <laughs> My wife's hand goes up in the back like, yeah, it's me. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Why? Because we're arguing about what? I don't even know anymore half the time. Because the world doesn't have God. And if you don't have God, you don't have peace. I mentioned this last week. If you keep warring against God long enough, bad things are going to happen to you. Why don't I fear that? Because I have God. And if I stand with him, I don't have to worry about any bad things. If I stand with him, I have peace. I've put away the darkness. I've put away the sin. He has cleansed me. He has enlightened me. He has brought me to himself. I don't have to fear that. Therefore, when you yell at each other about it, I'm not anxious because I have a solution. Y'all need Jesus. We laugh at that, but honestly, what's the cure? That, that's the problem. Why is there hatred? Why is there strife? Why is there greed? Why are there lusts of the flesh? Because people want what? What they want. What's the cure for that? Change their hearts. I no longer want what I want. I want what God wants. I treat you differently. I treat the world differently. I think differently because I have been changed by God. So Jethro said, "'Blessed be the Lord who delivered you "'from the hand of the Egyptians, "'from the hand of Pharaoh, "'and who delivered the people "'from under the hand of the Egyptians. "'Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. "'Indeed, it was proven "'when they dealt proudly against the people.'" Proof. This is what God has been doing the entire time, proving who he is, what that means, and what that means for his people. Remember, we keep going back to 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talking about the exodus these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the age has come. Why do you have a Bible? So that you'll learn. Learn what? Who God is, what he does for his people, what that means for your life. It's written for instruction. This is why you're supposed to read it. That's why people will look at me on occasion, and if you have ever told me this, I'm sorry if I'm saying this about you, but I'm not picking on you. People will go, well, I've read the Bible once, I get that. And, I, and you know what? I appreciate that. I've, Vern has asked me this. I'll pick on Vern a little bit. What's the good Bible translation? The one you'll read. No, I mean, I'm serious. I use an NASB because as Bible translations go, it's as close as you're going to get in English to a word for word translation. It is. It's as close as you'll get in English. You can't do it perfectly because English has strict word order, uh, Greek and Hebrew really don't. Greek is, is so messed up. Greek is like Yoda talking. So, you know, the subject will be at the end of the sentence, and the verb is at the beginning, and you don't know what's going on. But in English, we don't do that. We have subject, verb, and all the modifiers that come after. So it's as close as you're going to get it as an NASB. If you're going to study, I prefer that. It makes it a little hard to read sometimes, as you can see me getting twisted over my words and tied in a knot. And I'm okay with that because we take a little time, we go through it, and it makes sense. But the best Bible translation is one you'll read. Over and over again. Because if you read it 2, 3, 25, hike, However many times you can go through it, you'll discover there's something new in there each and every time. I didn't see that the last time. Even if you don't read through the whole thing, just pick something. That's why I joke, read your Bible, it'll do you good. That's literally the extent of it. Read your Bible, it'll do you good. I didn't say memorize it, although that would be good. I didn't say study it, although that would be good. Just start by reading something. Look, if you want, I have a list I can give it to you. Of, of all the books in the Bible that can be read in less than a half an hour. <laughs> it's a bunch of them. It's like 30. You can read also, You can read Obadiah. It's a great judgment against Edom. It's like 25 verses. It's great fun. Read Jude. It's 25 verses. It's about contending for the faith and, and being uplifted. The um, Ruth, which is where we'll start in Sunday school in probably two weeks, um, it's four chapters. You can read it in a sitting. It takes you longer to read news headlines on a computer than it does some of these books. Read something. Get it started. Why? Because it's an instruction. It tells you who God is, what he's doing. And the more you read it, the more you're going to ask questions. And I've told you a thousand times, what am I okay with? Questions. Because that means you're thinking. That means you're desiring to learn. And you know what? Even if I don't have the answer, you know what we can do? We can go find where it is. We can go find it somewhere. So the more you read, the more you'll ask. And the more you ask, the more you'll know. The more you know, the more you'll grow. And I'm out of rhyming, so... (laughs) Not always a good Baptist, but it is proof, and this is why your Bible has been given. So God has proved himself to Moses. Moses' testimony has proved God to Jethro. By the way, the rest of your Bible is God continuing the same thing. Things like Daniel too. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while you lay on your bed. Daniel doesn't know. God knows. Daniel can't explain to him what's going to happen. God can. Daniel's not interested in proving how wise he is. He's interested in proving what? How good and wise God is. Fast forward to the New Testament, John chapter 5. Jesus arguing with the crowd. The testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. This is why John's written the way that it is. You get to the end of his gospel, he says what? Many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. This is why. This is why you need to testify to yourself about the goodness. You know what you're you're proclaiming? You're proclaiming the works of God in your life. Your spouse can proclaim the works of God in their life. You proclaim them to your children. Children proclaim them to you. We proclaim them to each other. This is the good stuff that God is doing. When you ask me a question about something you read in the Bible, you're testifying to the goodness of God. Because who strengthened you to read? Who gave you the question? Who's opening your mind going, ooh, you want to learn about that? Exactly. I can rejoice in that. That's why it's fun for me. Guys on Wednesday and my Sunday school class will, will testify to this. You start asking funky questions about the Bible. What happens to class? <laughs> it gets real interesting real quick, doesn't it? Because I get quiet and calm and I don't want to talk about it anymore, right? <laughs> no, I'm bouncing off the ceiling. We're chasing rabbits. We're off on tangents doing all sorts of stuff. Why? Because we're talking about something that's good, something that's holy something that's interesting something that is a benefit to people which is why when you bring up rabbits in Sunday school we do what we chase them we answer them because if you're having this question this is something that God is working on in your life we should deal with that it's good this is the testimony that he gives this is the grace that he provides to you to me and to all the people that would happen to be around it is what he's doing day in and day out to prove himself Then Jethro, Moses' father in law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, his father in law, before God. That's worship. That's worship for Israel. Which, in light of everything else, what else should they do? (laughs) This is the punchline Psalm 150 Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All the stories have been told. All the thanks have been given. What's left? Man, let's sacrifice to have the worship. Let's party. This is what it's supposed to be. Let's have a meal and let's celebrate all that he has done. And that's important because we mentioned this, I think it was last week. My weeks run together. So two weeks ago, Israel fails miserably. God takes the penalty for them. This is um, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. God takes the penalty for their sin on his behalf. The rock is struck. They are provided with water. Israel at their lowest of lows, what happens next? The Amalekites come for battle because in the midst of your lowest of low and your self-wallowing, what do you get? You get a test. All right, let's see if we can climb out of this by the grace of God. And what happens? They do by the grace of God. Now we're getting celebration. We're at a good point here. Always learn this about your Bible. When people are at their highest, guess what God's gonna do? It's time to see if you're paying attention. Time to see if you can know the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Remember, knowledge is knowing stuff. Wisdom is knowing stuff and knowing what to do about the stuff that you know. So it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. That's what he's supposed to do. He's in charge. Got a problem? You bring it to the guy in charge. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, "'What is this thing that you're doing for the people?' Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? That's a great question. Is Moses the only smart guy in Israel? Is Moses the only person following God in Israel? No. Even in their darkest days, when you get to the the kingdom years of Ahab in 1 Kings, God said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great storm wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a gentle breeze. When Elijah heard this, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. See, if you're Elijah, how many people are following God in Israel? One. One. In God's response, there are 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. There's a lesson. There's fire and earthquake and storms, and God's not in that, but where is He? (sighs) Simple, basic, easy things. This is also an encouragement, Christian. No, you didn't see the Red Sea part. No, you didn't see manna from heaven, you didn't see hail. You didn't see the fire come down in the mountain. You didn't see Sinai shaking. You didn't see Jesus transfigured. You didn't walk in the water. You didn't see the great fish. You didn't see him climb out of the grave. You didn't see any of that stuff. And you're better for it. Because blessed are they who don't see and believe. Christian living is not in those massive things. It's in simple faithfulness day in and day out. It's in simple loving your spouse, training your children, Not stealing from your boss, doing a good job at work, not cursing that idiot in traffic. It's all of those little things that make Christian living. Basic, simple, everyday life culminating in a life lived faithfully unto God. Christian living is not about fame, it's not about glory, not ours anyway, but it's about God's glory and his gracious mercy day in and day out. I've told this before, Jonathan will remember, because Jonathan always remembers when I repeat a story. <laughs> church I was at before this, they had a brick walkway. And you could um, buy a brick and they would etch your name into the brick and you know, whatever else you wanted to put on there just would fit. And what they did was they got a brick for every pastor of the church. And my favorite was a guy who pastored the church in nineteen oh three, I think. Might have been, I think it was nineteen oh three to nineteen oh four. Reverend Davis, that's why he's my favorite. Because they have a whole church history book where you can read about like who dedicated what building and who took the first shovel full and who placed the last brick, you know, all that stuff. Man pastored that church for 18 months. Reverend Davis. I don't know if he was married. I don't even know if he has kids. I don't even know if he's got a first name. That's all he is, Reverend Davis on a brick, and he's got one name listing in the church history. I asked a lady who was 90 years old. She was almost alive when he was there. Who's this dude? Never heard of him. (laughs) He was your parents' pastor. (laughs) Never heard of the guy. He wasn't there for 20 minutes, he was there for like over a year. Never heard of the guy. He's my favorite. Because you know what? 500 years from now, who's going to know you? Who's going to care? That's why I joke, every once in a while, Cameron and I will have a bad day and we'll talk about like what songs do you want at your funeral and stuff like that. And she'll ask me, like what songs do you want at your funeral? And I tell her all the time, I don't care. Pick whatever you want. If I don't like it, I'll say something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because what's the point? I'm not gonna, if I get up to complain, you got bigger issues than the songs that you picked, <laughs> okay? Because nobody's going to care and I'm not going to care. And 100 years from now, Nobody's going to go. I can't believe Grandma picked that song. I mean, really, 500 years from now, nobody's going to even know I existed. They're not going to know my name. And I don't care because God knows my name. And Christ knows who I am, what I do, and why I do it. And that's what's supposed to matter. Don't have to be big, don't have to be famous. I just have to be faithful. Because that's Christian living. That's what Elijah needed to know. That's what Moses should be knowing. Why are they all going to Moses? He's in charge. Who else knows these things? Moses should. Ah. 1 Corinthians 12. One in the same spirit works in all these people. Distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So Moses told his father-in-law, the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing you are doing is not good. Amen. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. That's biblical wisdom right there. Somebody got one right. (laughs) Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. When you have work, what are you supposed to do? D- divide it and get it done. I mean, this is this is how households are supposed to work. This is how businesses work. Like, what happens when you go to work and there's one person to do everything? What happens when he twists his ankle? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, I did this in restaurants for years. I had well, we had a day where we had one guy who knew how to work the grill. And he called in sick, and I'm like, because <laughs> I'm looking around going, okay, how many people know how to work the grill that are here? Hey, all right, how many of you know how to do the job I'm doing? Oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I got people running the grill and going back and forth, and it's a nightmare. And You know what you realize that day? More people need to learn how to do more stuff. We have a word for that in Christianity. You know what it's called? Discipleship. What's the goal of my insane dog and pony show every week? It's to teach and instruct and uplift you. Why? So that you know things. So that you grow in wisdom. So that you begin to do things. I don't live at your home. I don't go to school with your children. I don't, you know, hang out in all the places you hang out. So I can't carry the light that God's given me. You have to carry the light that he's given to You. I used to have this argument all the time with parents when I was in youth ministry. I'm like, guys, I get an hour Sunday school class on Sunday morning. If they show up, I get an hour on Sunday nights. And if they show up, I get an hour on Wednesday nights. You got them in your house for four hours after school before you send them to bed, four or five hours. They're in school for seven or eight hours a day. They're doing who knows what with who knows who on the weekends. If you think I'm going to win a battle with three hours a week, you have lost your ever-loving mind. And you know who they used to always get mad at? Me! <laughs> they used to get mad at me. I'm like, I can't win this war. You have to fight too, and you have to train them to fight as well. If it was true for teenagers, do you think it's true for adults? <laughs> yes, it is. That's the goal of this. That's why we go through books of the Bible like we do, to show you the connections, to show you how it makes sense, so that we can see this and understand it, so that we're not looking at this going, um, what did he say on Sunday about this? When This is also why I don't kill myself with crazy examples, because you know what the odds are of me finding the one example that's going to actually happen to you on a random Thursday? Yeah, it's never going to happen. But if I can get you to understand the principles of God, what he's doing, how he is working in general, do you know what happens when your specific situation comes up? Yes, your wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit will get things done. Hence, Jethro's advice. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God and bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. That almost sounds too easy, doesn't it? So you know what God says, tell them what God says and how God says to do it so they can then do what? (laughs) They, They can then explain it to everybody else. See, it gets better, by the way. Furthermore, You shall select out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain. Place them over, I'm sorry, place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times. Let it be that every major dispute they bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge. It will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. See, it's so simple, it's got to be brilliant. I'm serious. If you've ever been in a business of any size or any government agency at all, the best idea is always what? The easiest one, which is why we never picked that one. (laughs) Yes, it's the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. (laughs) Um, If you want the, the understanding from that in logic, it's Occam's razor. When examining a problem, the simplest explanation is always the best. If I have to jump through, this is why I'm not a conspiracy guy. Because if I have to jump through 17 hoops in order to make sense of it, it, it doesn't work that way. This is the same thing. Now, um, go back, excuse me, go back to 21 real quick. Are we having a plane land on us? Notice this. Select out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who are those who hate dishonest gain. You ever hear any standards like that anywhere else in your Bible? Ah, somebody's got it. Titus chapter 1. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you, namely if any man is above reproach. The husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion— For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable. I just lost a spot. Um, Loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. See, there's a reason. Okay, I mentioned earlier See, I like, to, I like to pull on mine because I've got enough of them now. These, these gray things that you get, I mentioned earlier that you earn them. You win them. Why? Why? It's a symbol that when you say, hey, 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 don't do that. You actually know why you shouldn't do that. You know why? Because that, that's, that's this one right here. See, I did that and that was this one. No, 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 don't do that. that. That's this one over here. And, and don't do that because that, that's this one over here. You can see that one in the wintertime. <laughs> see, it's a reminder that there's a life lived and learned that is supposed to be passed on. Again, big fancy theological words. This is what discipleship is supposed to be. Wisdom being handed down. Because as we have walked forward, we don't sit back and go, all right, wait, wait, wait. Remember that pothole we stepped in 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 72? Watch, they're going to hit it too. It's going to be great. (laughs) No, we don't do that. We do what? No, we filled that one in. We put a big sign up and said, hey, go this way. Because that way you go around that one and then you don't spend four years trying to dig yourself out of it because that way you don't start back there. You start here and we walk together. And one day the people you disciple will start where? Wherever you may be. This is the blessing through the generations of faithful Christian living. Is that the people that come after you don't have to make the same mistakes you make because you already made them on their behalf. And you can instruct them and warn them and proclaim. And we get terrified. This is where the lie of the enemy comes in so well. Because you've said this, so I'm going to pick on you. You ready? Well, I I can't really say anything. I did the same thing when I was their age. (laughs) You've said that. And if you didn't say that, someone said it to you or one of your friends said it. It's dumb. Don't say it again. I can't say anything. Did the same thing when I was their age. No, you did the same thing when they were their age. You have to say something. That's discipleship and wisdom in action. Is you going to do that? No. There is a way that seems right to a man and in the way that in the end that way leads to death. Do not be wise in your own eyes but in all your ways acknowledge him. Be discipled. Grow. Make disciples. Take the wisdom that God has given you and apply it to the Christian community. Why don't we? Because we're afraid they're going to think we're crazy. I already gave you the answer on that one. Just be crazy. It's much easier. Just tell yourself every morning, of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most. And then move on with your day and it'll be all right. You're afraid of what they'll think of you. Who cares? Who cares what they think? Who cares what they know? God knows me. God knows everything in the road that is behind me. And he said, forgiven. God knows every mistake that I have made. And he said, good. Not because of me, because of Christ and his work. And it changes me and it cleanses me and it carries me forward. So I don't have to be afraid of your judgment. I'm not afraid of God's judgment. Why would I be afraid of yours? Because God's judgment has been taken away. Yours is nothing. And until we're comfortable with that, we'll be more worried about the world thinks and what the neighbor says than we will about actually doing the hard work of discipleship. See, you've got to have good Backstreet Boys theology. Don't care where you are from, who you are, any of what you have did, any of what you did, you are in Christ. You are a child of the King of creation, Welcome at his throne in heaven, ushered into the gracious good garden when it is restored. Forget all the rest and walk faithfully, walk honestly, make disciples, call a spade a spade and walk in righteousness. If you do these things or if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all these people also will go to their place in peace. In other words, if you actually take the commands of God, instruct them to others so that they then instruct them to others and the people grow in holiness, what will be the result? 1 <laughs> Corinthians 12 again. There are a variety of gifts, but one spirit. There are a variety of ministries, one Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good see if you're in christ you're gifted if you're in christ you're prepared for what i have no idea that's your job i'm not you if i was you i would be doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing but i'm me so i'm doing the thing i'm supposed to be doing figure out what thing is in the kingdom and do it because that's what he has saved you for that is what he that is what he has gifted you for and that is what he has prepared you for So Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. The difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade bade his father-in-law farewell, and he went on his way to his own land. Why did Martin Luther say... my heart is held captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. Because it makes sense. Take scripture away and what makes sense of this world? Nothing. Why do I start with scripture and go follow this? Because it makes sense. And if I take this away, you know what makes sense? Nothing. This is why I say read it. This is why I say study it. This is why I say understand it. this is why I say when you have a question, ask it. Because the more we know, oh, I'm turning into a bad G.I. Joe cartoon when I was a kid. And knowing is half the battle. (laughs) If you didn't grow up in the 80s, you have no idea what I just said. And and you're better for it. You're better for it. Excuse me. Knowing and applying and walking are built upon the foundation of Christ. How do I know anything about Christ? Because he wrote a book. How do I know how his word applies? Because I've spent time in prayer. I've spent time in study. I've spent time asking questions. And this is true for me, and it's true for you and it's true for all of Christians. What wisdom should I be applying so you don't end up with the same gray hair as I got, but you can earn them in a different way? by saying, "Hey, don't do that, but walk in righteousness like this. This is what was broken here. This is how it is put back together. See, it's one thing to say, that's wrong. It's another thing to say why it's wrong and a lot of people can look at the world and say that's wrong but they have no idea what makes it wrong christian we do we have the testimony of god we know what's broken about it because we know the standard rightly we have to be willing to stand on it and say okay you're gonna think i'm crazy i don't care here's the problem here's also the solution return to christ walk in his ways, cry out for his mercy and his grace, turn from your sins, and then your heart, mind, desires will be changed and this world will be different. Why? Because it'll be built back upon the principles of God. Build a society. Israel in the desert. Build it upon his word. And what do you get? You get peace. You get safety. You get security. Build it on something else. What do you get? (laughs) Why does the world look like what it does? Because it's a pagan society trying to do pagan things in pagan ways. What's the cure? Christ. His mercy, changing hearts. His mercy, changing minds. And the grace of God operating in the wisdom of his people, building out a world that honors him and cares for one another. The only way that happens is if we stand firm on the foundation that Christ has given in his word. Anything else is doom. Let's pray.